Mr. Blair, would you go to the book of Titus, nearly at the end of your Old Testament, uh, sorry, New Testament. Um, I'm going to finish the little outline I gave you a couple weeks ago, so you should have still had some to pick up this morning, but we're going to pick it up about three-fourths of the way onto the first page, so that you've got a front and back, and we've been talking about life at work. So here's the idea. We're kind of completing this thought. Our lives at work should be characterized by, and that's kind of where that's going to begin. Um, I once interviewed a person for a, uh, a job, and they, they put in their resume that they were excellent at multitasking. And I found out that what that meant was they were exceptional. They could, at the same time, they could uh, uh, waste time, be unproductive, and procrastinate all at once. <laughs> That's not what the Bible teaches us about life at work. Um, it tells us that we probably ought to be exemplary in our work. Now, the other thing that will cast this in, and you're going to see it even as Steve reads from Titus 2, verse 9 and 10, um, um, you're going to see that it talks about the relationship of a slave, in particular this, this time it's going to call it a bond slave, to a master. And, uh, and I said a couple of weeks ago that the issue there is that that is really applicable to us, those of us who report to someone or have someone reporting to us, because a bond slave was a person who voluntarily worked uh, as an indentured person for another. It's not like what we had in, uh, in the early days of, of, uh, of the American College in the United States. Very, very diff different situation. So it has, has some things to say to us about when we go to work, what to do, uh, whether I'm a supervisor or whether I'm one who is being supervised. Okay, fair enough. All right, so Steve, if you would, oh, by the way, let me just say for a minute, Bill Search came in a minute ago. I called the church office a week ago Thursday and just said, it looks like I'm not going to be able to be here on Sunday. Uh, we had uh, Ken's funeral last Saturday up in Missouri, and um, uh, we were still kind of dealing with some things on Sunday, obviously. And, and uh, Bill Search, who is one of the new pastors here, came and uh, spoke to you, and I thought that was great. And uh, uh, he's not right in here, but I've, I've already thanked him a couple of times, and uh, you'll want to get to know him. And... Uh, uh, he's just been on staff maybe six months or so. And uh, anyway, great to have him at the last minute to pinch hit. Now, Steve Freed, verse 9 and 10 from Titus 2. Okay, boy, I love that word attractive there. We're going to talk about that just for a minute. So urge, uh, Steve, I think yours began with the word teach. Teach slaves, is that what it said? Okay, uh, mine begins with the word urge. So both of those are, uh, we're, we're kind of bolstering one another up. We're giving one another encouragement. We're kind of uh, um, uh, fostering whatever it is that, that's coming after that. To be subject to their own masters and everything. Well-pleasing. Not argumentative. Now, the idea here is uh, that the Bible is teaching. And what we're doing in this little bit of the series, and by the way, I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up uh, next week with, with some teaching on some things that I've gleaned from the book of Proverbs next week. And then uh, beginning um, in September, we're going to start a new, a new series. But um, so 
the idea of my life at work is that I ought to be cooperative, not argumentative. Okay? You ever served on a committee or had somebody on a team that you worked on? And invariably, invariably, they would say something as the, as the meeting was going fairly smoothly. They would say, well, let me play the devil's advocate here. Run out of the room. Okay? Devil's advocate. Now, can I tell you? The devil really doesn't need an advocate. Can I, can I tell you that? Uh, there you go. I, I don't need to advocate for the devil. He does pretty fine for himself. Okay? The devil needs no advocate. Don't... Uh, isn't it true, and I've been in this place too, where everything's going so smoothly that you think, well, I'd, we probably ought to think of just the other way around just to make sure all the, all the bases are covered, right? But the idea, biblically, is not to be, not to present argument just for argument's sake. Cooperative. Now, it doesn't mean that if there is something that the group has just missed, that you're not supposed to lift this up. But argument for argument's sake is what is being addressed here. Uh, be peacemaking, not the word. In, in one of the translations I read, used the word factious. Factious. What, what does that, what idea does that conjure up? Uh, and that would be factual. Factious. I'm glad you said that because this is really not talking about truth. What's it talking about? Dividing. Dividing. Make, causing a fact. Uh, causing things to be factual, fractured. Okay, so factious would be this idea of just stirring things up. Okay, we've all served on teams where there are factious people and it's like, okay, wait a minute. We all, we're all getting this done. And so the Bible says, don't do it that way. <clears throat> and then look at verse 10 that Steve read to us. Uh, it's interesting, in the New American Standard, it says, not pilfering. What does it say in yours? What? Not stealing, so that's what it is, okay. There are ways I can steal besides, you know, running off with a box of pens occasionally. There's a way I can steal time. And that, that seems more acceptable in these days than, than other things, Okay. So not pilfering is what that says, but then it goes on to say, showing all good faith so that they, they will adorn the doctrine of our Savior, of God our Savior in every respect. So the idea here is that there should be no discrepancy between what I claim to be and what I live out. No discrepancy between what I profess and what I practice. They're hypocrites in every field, right? Just because you hang out in a donut shop doesn't mean you're a cop. Right, Troy? Okay. All right. If I sleep in a garage, it doesn't mean I'm in a car. Okay. There is a difference between what I profess and what I possess. And I want to live according to what I possess. The Spirit of God inside me. I want this uh, spirit about me where there's no discrepancy between what I claim to be and who I actually am. 
Okay, now, I'm going to, can I prevail, Mr. Blair, for one more before you go, Usher? 1 Timothy 5, and read verse 8, and then jump over to chapter 6 and read verse 2. Now, I, I was working through this again this morning, and I realized I have worked in retrograde on this outline. Have you noticed that already? I'm, we're turning left the whole time. So just back one book to the left. Um, actually, two books are left. Go through 2 Timothy into 1 Timothy 5, 8. Steve? Go, jump over to 6 and read verse 1 and 2. There are really kind of three areas of principle here that I wanted to kind of drill down on. But let's begin with this idea of taking care or providing for my family. Um, it seems to me, if I read it in context, that this issue of, of, of providing for my family is a faith question. It is, if you are a faithful person, you will provide for your family. Um, now, uh, Sometimes I'll be in, in uh, uh, conversations with a person who is um, struggling with members of their extended family who uh, the, the person I'm talking to may be a person of some, uh, of some means, and there are people in their extended family who are aware of that, and they're constantly saying, can you help me out? Okay. Uh, what, I real, what I recognize here is in context, okay, Paul is not talking about your lazy Uncle Al. Okay? Think about that for a minute. If you've got, a, if you've got an Uncle Al, I'm not saying he's lazy. I'm just saying if you did, that's who I would be referring to here. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a, a, a little thing that was going on in my extended family, my, my mother's family. Uh, uh, okay. Bill and Jean, this is not about you. Okay? Not about you. But these people live in California. Okay? Bill and Jean live half their life in California. Um, uh, this is not about California. It's just about the nature of these people. The, the, they would come to visit and stay for like a, six weeks. What was it your mom said about people who came to stay? After three days, company is like fish. They start smelling. They go bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and literally, they, they seem to move through much of the... They, they were kind of on the government dole, even though they were younger. And they seemed to kind of visit family members around the country incessantly and, and stay a while. Katie, you must have somebody in your life kind of like that, but I'm not going to ask you to tell about it. And it was just funny because as a kid, I really didn't get it, but I heard the conversation from the backseat of the car, and it was like, here they are again, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, but we were the, they were sharing our time. Okay, yeah. Uh, so the Bible is not saying be a burden on your family. In fact, it's saying just the opposite, I think, isn't it? I think it's saying 
Don't expect someone else to take care of your responsibility. I think it's saying that. Now remember, in context, in biblical days, the church was the welfare system. Okay? There are elaborate instructions, both in the epistles uh, and in the book of Acts, about what to do to take care of widows and orphans. The church was the welfare system. They took that seriously. And we ought to take those kinds of things seriously. But the, the principle here is clear. Providing for my family is a faith question. Now, it, it goes on to say that if, if, if I'm doing my work appropriately, so my life at work ought to preserve God's reputation a bit. Uh, if you look, look there at, over in chapter 6, verse 1, um, regard your own master as worthy of all honor so, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. I'll get back to that in just a minute. The, the idea there, I put the reference to Matthew 5, 16. Uh, live your life, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the idea is I ought to live my life at work in such a way that God gives some credit. And it goes on to talk about this idea here of honoring my employer. Now, there's more of that we'll get into in just a minute. That's more specific, but it's, but it's indicated here, and it's consistent with what's taught um, uh, actually down um, in First Peter. So it's interesting. Here's where Paul's teaching and Peter's teaching are very much right in line with one another. Then it raises this issue of not taking a brother or advantage of a brother or sister at work just because they're brother or sister. You catch that? In verse 2, the, the idea here is don't take advantage of a brother and sister just because they're Christian. In fact, I ought to serve them all the more. If I, if, if I've been, you know, you, know, you and I, probably, we've probably heard these stories where somebody uh, within the church hires a person in the family of faith uh, because they need a job and because um, the uh, potential employer has a position. And then they kind of tread on that favor because we're friends from church. Now, what you've got to cast this in the context of is, okay, there was a lot going on. This is very interesting, and I don't pretend to completely understand it. But there was a lot going on where a slave owner... A master was in the same church as the indentured servant. That's the context of this. Uh, if you read the book of Philemon, for instance, Onesimus, this is crazy to me, Onesimus is a church leader who is a slave. And Philemon owns him very interesting dynamic that's hard for you and I to completely get our minds wrapped around. But the idea here is uh, do you see kind of that in context here as Paul says, you know what? Don't tread on the grace of a brother or sister just because you're at work together. It ought to be, they ought to get all the more honor. Serve them all the mo more honor. Now look at those, actually all three of those verses, if you just kind of glance at them. What's the so that? Why should we do this? I love it when a principle is given and it didn't say just do it, you know. Do you ever kind of, your mom said, go take out the garbage and you made the mistake of saying why? 
and, and because I'm your mother or because I said so. Well, well you get more of, than that in here. Why? There are two reasons here, and that's, that's the, the number one one, uh, I think. What's the so that? We're going to do this so that God's name and what we believe will be enhanced. The idea that God's name is at stake as well as what I claim to believe. Isn't it interesting that I can claim to be Christian, I can claim to have one set of values and ethics and all those things, and yet my life at work could belie that. And, be, and it would bring um, dishonor to God's name and to what I claim or what my church claims to believe. That's kind of the idea. Okay, let's go to another one. Uh, John, can I get you to go to 1 Thessalonians 4? Again, I think you just turn back left just a little bit and you'll find it. I don't know how I ended up working backwards on this one, but um, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 and 12. Okay, so the principle here begins with this idea of at work leading a quiet life. What does that mean? What does that look like to you? What's the picture? Do your work. Quietly, just keep your nose, keep your head down. Yep, keep it in. What'd you say, Cindy? Kind of mind your own business. D, I heard, I, I saw your mouth moving, but I didn't hear you. Uh, oh, there you go. We kind of talked about that a couple weeks ago, but you're exactly right. Okay, did your mother ever say to you, tend to your own knitting? Uh, uh, don't wear bright clothing. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I don't know if you're talking about me or not, Bill, but I don't think it has anything to do with that. <laughs> Remember I said a couple weeks ago, for those of you who are here, stay in your own lane. It is not about you. It's, it's not really about John. You heard Wichita Falls? That's Texas fan. It had to be somewhere in Texas. Don't worry about the mule. Just load the wagon. I love it. Mule take care of himself. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's sage wisdom right there. Um, so the idea here is attend to my own business. And then the idea in verse 12 that John read is Those on the outside are going to be watching how you do things. It's talking about those out, not outside your office. It's talking about those outside your church. Okay? are going to watch how you do things. 
and it will impact what they think, again, going back to the last passage that we've studied, it'll, go, it'll have an impact on what they think about God and certainly what they think about what you believe or what your group believes. Behave properly toward outsiders. Now, I want us to go back a, a, a few more pages to the, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and I want somebody to read, if you would, verse 28. Cindy, you mind to get that one? 428. Um, uh, now, and the idea, as you hear her read this, is it, let it kind of wash over your mind and your soul. The goal of earning should be something like this. The goal of earning a wage should be something like this. 428. Okay, so the idea here is earn enough to meet my own needs, our own needs, and to be able to contribute toward the needs of somebody else. Okay, earn enough. And, and you and I know that the, all of us can go through periods of time when maybe the first part of that equation is even hard, much less the second part. Wait a minute, there's too much month at the end of the money anyway. How can I help somebody else? I remember when um, I was first in Florida and finishing school, my undergrad degree, and we drove, we drove a, an old pickup truck an hour one way to church. Rhonda was doing piano lessons, and you know, I was the minister of music over there at a Methodist church out in the middle of the Orange Groves. And, uh, and you know, and we, for a hundred bucks a week, I think, uh, you know, we lived in a trailer house and mom and dad were helping me with tuition, which helped, but, but um, not with living. It, anyway, it was just one of those things where, you know, we had lots of baloney in those days. And as my dad would say, we lived on love. Some, some country singers bound to sing living on love. Who, who sings that? Alan Jackson. Well, what I remember is because I had a uh, because I had a pickup truck. I can't tell you how many Sundays there was produce. I mean, remember I lived in a we were working with a bunch of orange citrus growers. About everybody in the church was a citrus grower. I rarely came out of church that there wasn't a bag of fruit or vegetables or something in the back of my pickup truck. Rarely ever. We lived in a little uh, mobile home. It was a it was a dollhouse. You remember that? I mean, for us, we thought we'd died and gone to heaven. Been married six months. We had this cute little thing we lived in. It was a, a mile or so from the school. And uh, Joe and Mary Smith at the Methodist Church in Bowling Green, Florida, gave us a washer and dryer that they weren't using anymore. And we thought we'd died and gone to heaven. You know what I mean? They were helping those who didn't have as much to make the ends meet. And it was just wonderful. My, my parents would come to visit us then, and they'd just kind of scratch their heads and marvel at how, how much people took care of us. You know, people have done that over the years, over the 41 years that we've been to us. So the idea is now we're in the position where we can help those who have a need. Okay? Earning enough to provide and to give. Uh, it, it's just the principle of Scripture here. Earning enough 
The goal of earning is earning enough to meet my own needs and to be able to contribute toward the needs of other people. That's kind of simple, but it is wise to live this way. Okay, so go, we're going to go back right a little bit. Somebody find 1 Peter 2.18. This one's very interesting, and I'm going to camp out here because I'm, I'm a great benefactor of, of uh, how this works in my work. 1 Peter 2.18, who will get that one? Okay, thank you. That's, again, addressing slaves and masters, okay? So we said that applies to us because this is talking about indentured servants. So it's, it's a laborer who reports to uh, an owner in this case, but, but for, for your sakes and mine, it, it's a boss or a supervisor. Have you noticed that if you watch sitcom entertainment, Okay, a typical sitcom, all right? Every pastor is an idiot, all right? Uh, or, or something, there's just something going on. You know, every, every pastor is not a person you want to model after. They're, they're kind of, uh, you've ever heard the uh, uh, adage, uh, they're, they're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I mean, that's kind of how we see that. And every boss is a buffoon. That's not what the Bible describes here. Have you ever noticed? You just notice how that kind of weaves through the fabric of, of everything that we're kind of presented in, in popular culture today. So the idea here is how do I treat my boss in 1 Peter 2.18? And the two words that kind of lift off the page to me are the words respect and submission, show respect and be submissive. And it says, uh, you know, I, I love it because as you and I are reading that, forming the question, yeah, but my boss is an idiot. What does it say? It says, even if the boss is unreasonable. Even. It doesn't give me an out. Now, I live in an environment where the person to whom I report, it was in this room, this kind of I'm, I'm, my blood pressure is going up a couple of points right in as I talk to them, <laughs> treats me with love and grace. I, I, when this thing was going on with us 10 days ago, this thing that we didn't expect, I would, I would hear a ding on my phone and look down. It, it was this, two or three times this wonderful, life-giving, loving response from my boss. And we'd read those and weep and say, oh Lord, how good do we have it. But the Bible says, even when you don't have a John Foster as your supervisor, respect them anyway. Uh, can you believe that's there? <laughs> uh, it's almost kind of can you imagine reading that in the first century? Um, uh, uh, so then, 
And the words here are, are, are incredible to describe that good boss. And, and I want to be that kind of person. Uh, notice what, what the words are used. Okay, I, did, I didn't turn to it as you did, and I'm paying for it now. First Peter. It's in the New Testament somewhere. Yeah, okay, there we are. Uh, look at the, the words, at least from my translation, that are used here to describe, uh, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are, and the words that I've got in mind are good and gentle. We don't all have good and gentle bosses, do we? But what that tells me, if I'm leading a team, then I need to be good and gentle toward them. I think I can make that connection. So how then should I treat the good and gentle boss? With even more respect. With even more submission. Making their job easier, not harder. Those kinds of things. Okay, let's go to Colossians 4, 1. It's going to be to the left a bit. I got out of my pattern of turning left here, sorry. Ephesians, Philippians. How is that? Turn right and go straight. Oh, there you go. There you go, Dan. <laughs> That'll work. Uh, Colossians 4 1. Somebody got it? Okay, if, if the last passage that we read is talking about the treatment of bosses by employees, then this one's going to talk again about how to treat, um, how to treat an employee if you're a boss. So um, and the idea here is if I'm, if I'm a supervisor, a boss, how do I treat my employees? And Paul says here, I'm going to treat employees with justice and fairness, knowing that, knowing that I too have someone to whom to answer. Who do I answer to? God, the one we all answer to, right? So it could be that, that in your organization, you report to nobody. You're, you're the, the top dog, the corner office, whatever. I, I think what Paul is saying here is don't forget that you've got to be accountable to somebody too. And, and that accountability ought to make you treat those whom report to you with justice and fairness. Um, and what I would say, that kind of the best advice I would give you in this, uh, not because I'm good at it, but because I strive toward it, is what I need to do is get to know the needs of each person that works kind of under me. Because I can't supervise one person the way I supervise another one. So I need to know them fairly well, what their needs are, what their love languages are, those kinds of things. What, what support looks like and sounds like to them and, and what doesn't. Get to know the people who report to me really, really well. That's kind of the idea. Get to know the needs of those I lead. So I'm going to treat employees with justice and fairness. And then look at, if you're, if you're over there in Colossians 4, look at verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. This is great advice for the home or the office or wherever, right? Let your speech always be seasoned with, be with grace. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. So that you'll know how to respond to every person. Sally, in a typical classroom when you were teaching, how many kids did you have? 
That scares me to death. 25 little ones. But my guess is it didn't take you long to kind of know every one of them fairly well because they know your heart. You treated each of them evenly, but, but different based on their particular needs. Uh, it, this just it translates in so many areas of our life. The idea of um, letting my speech be with grace, seasoned like it was with salt. Get to know the people you lead. Okay, one more. James 5, 4, back to the right, almost to the end of your Bibles. James 5, 4, and then we'll, we'll bring this part to a close. I've got two places in James I want to take you. If anybody beats me to James 5, 4, read it. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped your, down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, a couple of things I want to lift out here. It's talking about... If people work for you and you owe them money. So it's the idea here. Uh, and and, and uh, James is using some picturesque language here uh, to teach here. If you're a leader or if you've hired someone, be prompt in the payment of wages. And it's going to say you want to do that. What's the so that? What's the why? Because the Lord hears. And it uses a, a, fra a phrase there describing uh, uh, Lord Sabaoth hears. And so the idea of the Lord of hosts, I use my own sanctified imagination, but the Lord of hosts means the Lord of the angels or of the heavenly armies. And I got to thinking about why did James drop that in here? Well, certainly he's talking about the Lord God Almighty. That's typically when Sabaoth is used. But I also thought of God's got armies of angels working for him. He kind of gets that. Okay? So it's the idea, don't owe a wage that you can pay. Be prompt in the payment of wages. Now, we said this the other day. I want you to stay in James. I want you to look across the page at, at uh, uh, chapter 4. Actually, in, on my, in my Bible, it's on the very same page. And I'm going to bring this to a, to a close here. What can we glean from all this? I, I applied some of this last, last time we were together, two weeks ago when I was here. How I work and how I act matters to God. He's watching Okay, it's not, not that there is a uh, security system in my office that's going to beam it in on me. It is that God is watching, and he's not going to miss much, right? So, my attitude then counts. Now, what I want to say to you is there are times in, in our work lives when there may be a directive sent that i got to do something I don't want to do, or maybe it's just the nature of the work. You know, sometimes my kids will complain to me about something they got to do, and I'll say, you know, guys, there's a reason they call this work. Your attitude matters, but I'm going to tell you, it's in like, like in a lot of other things. I can fake that till I make it, you know? I can say, you know what? I'll get it done. And my attitude will be consistent in my brain until my brain convinces my heart of that better attitude. Okay, so your attitude counts. Why? Because the world is watching. The world is watching how you and I work as well as what we say. They, in fact, they may not be as interested in what I say as they are in what I'm doing. And I'm going to ask 
who am I serving? And did you notice in several of these passages, both two weeks ago and today, it, note, it mentioned God. Uh, remember, you work for God. Remember, God is watching. I've, I've got to remember here that I am serving him ultimately. And I've got to ask myself the question occasionally, whose kingdom am I, am I really trying to build? Is it the kingdom of uh, myself or, or some uh, boss somewhere? Or am I really trying to build the kingdom of God? And I'll work differently if I keep that in the back of my mind. Now, look across the page, if you would, at Hebrews 4.13. 4, Just one more thing. Here's what it says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such city. We'll spend a year there. We'll engage in business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and also do this or that. A week ago Monday, so two weeks ago tomorrow, Rhonda's brother, my dear friend, was on his phone researching a car to do a car deal. When we believe he died in his chair. Okay. They did CPR on him. They took him to the hospital. Pronounced him dead later. But we don't think he was ever really alive. And I begin to think about this passage of scripture. He was working on a deal. Literally when he took his last breath. I talked to a dear friend yesterday at a, at a uh, wedding vows renewal that I was involved in and uh, he told me how old he is. He's dealing with the ravages of cancer. His wife died a couple of years ago and he looked at me with a gleam in his eye and I was describing what happened to Ken and, and he looked at me with a gleam in his eye and he said, you know what? There are a lot of days when I just soon go on. I said, man, you got a lot more to go to heaven for these days, don't you? And he said, you betcha. And he's living, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want, see, I want to live and work every day as if it's my last. Don't you? To not leave things undone that are the most important things that need to get done. Those loving things. They're going to change my world and build the kingdom of God.